Stop Punishing Yourself, the only podcast that teaches neurodivergent Alaskans prone to anxiety and depression how to stop feeling like victims to their brains and start feeling empowered by them. I'm your host and neurospicy life coach, Alicia Turner, and I promise to take you from codependent and insecure to independent and unstoppable using the spiritual art and science of coaching. If you're ready to fully reverse the harmful wiring that's living rent-free all up in your brain, then let's get started. Hello, my fellow Earthlings. Happy July. I took a spontaneous hiatus from the podcast, from kind of marketing in general for my business. And even though it was only a couple weeks, it felt great. I needed it. And I needed, I I had this insane urge for a while to burn my entire podcast to the ground, but I kind of just let it pass through me. And I was like, you know, I still like doing this and, and I can show up and do it in a different fuel than I've been using and keep the torch going before I stamp it all out. So, um, yep, just having weird um, urges and spontaneous pausings and just being a human over here like everyone else. So here I am back at it. I have like 40 ideas I am ready to talk about again. Um, And today I want to talk about neurodivergence because... I market to neurodivergent Alaskans, but if you went up to every client I have served or currently serving, they might not identify as that. And I am not here to say I'm diagnosing them and I'm telling them I do not have the credentials or the clout to do so. So I want to talk about neurodivergence today, my experience of it. And this is in no way a medical diagnosis or a way for you to diagnose yourself on this episode. Go do your own research, go, you know, schedule your own appointments to find out or get evaluated. But I want to talk about it because especially in women, it is not diagnosed. It's not, it's kind of passed over. It's missed in women more than it is in boys. And I serve all women and You know, the people that are attracted to me are like me, and I'm just now in my early 30s learning about my neurodivergence, having language for it, and validating the fuck out of it, which is very nice and also hard, and um, I don't want to get too caught up in the labels of it all, because again, everything's made up, let's not take it too seriously, but let's also have our back and be able to validate ourselves. So this is essentially... I'm going to call this podcast episode like you might be neurodivergent or are you neurodivergent? I don't know. I hate writing titles for stuff. For some reason, it is the hardest thing in the world for me. Um, But I just want to talk about it. I want to talk about what it means to be neurodivergent, the types of neurodivergence and my personal history and experience of of it being looked over, passed over to having to figure it out on my own and how I did that and how you can kind of start doing research of your own as well. So there are 
several types of neurodivergence. And all neurodivergence means is how someone's brain processes, learns, and behaves is going to be different from what is considered typical. And typical is just a fancy word for normal. And normal is defined by you know, supremacy, culture, patriarchy, it's all a bunch of fucked up systems. So what does that even mean at the end of the day? So with that said, um, this is what I really mean by it's, it's all made up. These titles, these diagnoses, um, they're all kind of allopathic and pathological in a sense. And so I don't want you to get caught up on labels or get afraid that you might be one of these neurodivergences because it's not a problem. But what's not considered typical was formally considered a a problem or abnormal. But as we evolve our consciousness and as we kind of question and interrogate our current systems, we're really now understanding neurodivergence as a benefit, not just an individual or a community benefit, but a societal benefit. If you look at all the past geniuses in the world, like Einstein or, or any of the innovators, right, You know, you can look at Rosa Parks or like the bravest people in the world in our history. They were all neurodivergent. Okay, they all kind of went against what was considered typical and normal. And my natural resting state is atypical, right? It does resist and conflict with what is considered normal in our society, And I've always thought that is an amazing, powerful, really good thing. And so I resent and do not agree with any kind of stigma around neurodivergence. And I will like loudly and proudly say I'm self-diagnosed autism and ADHD and probably more. But again, let's not get bogged down in the labels. But yeah, the types of neurodivergence are plenty. There's ASD, which is autism spectrum spectrum disorder there's adhd which i think needs a rebrand retitled because it is not an attention deficit is an it's an attention surplus and an inability to focus it in one place like most people can so it's literally the opposite of what the title says it needs a rework there's ocd there's tourette's there's dyslexia and there's so many other subtle things these are really sensory processing quote-unquote disorders, but really you could call them sensory superpowers. Um, It's like a pie chart. So there's going to be people who have stronger pie chunks in one area and smaller than the other. So that's why it shows up differently for everyone. When I started like um, telling my immediate family, like, hey, I'm researching autism. I think I'm autistic. They immediately, like for the most part, not all of them, but we're like, no, you're not. You're normal. You know, like first there's resistance because of the stigma. And two, there's just like an idea of what neurodivergence looks like. And we have such an aversion to consider or entertain that it can look like many, many different things. And I think we really need to open our minds up to that idea that it does look different. And now I want to specifically speak to women here. Because women are so good at masking, and I'm going to tell you why, but that is why a lot of people, like if I went to my friend groups today or I went to my past teachers and I was like, hey, guess what? I'm autistic. Um, they'd probably be really resistant to it or very gaslighty about it and be like, um, who the fuck do you think you are? Do you just want some attention? Like, why are you diagnosing yourself? You're crazy. Um, these are all the thoughts I've dealt with myself about it as well. But because we're so good at masking 
I can literally play a character that is not me and function through my day-to-day life, which is exactly what I did throughout my scholastic career, through college, even when I go to my day job still, I'm putting on a character. I'm masking. I'm not being my at-rest personality self. That would probably scare some people. And and the fact that my emotional resting state is kind of a blank, dead <laughs> stare, I, you know, I smile. I force myself to smile at people. I force myself to, you know play in the narrative the scripts of like societal niceties you know and so we need to notice how young boys were many young boys were diagnosed with neurodivergence when you know I was in grade school in the 90s and but you didn't see a lot of women getting diagnosed. It doesn't mean that there weren't women or young girls that had neurodivergence. It just means they were so much better at getting skipped over and not diagnosed and ignored because we are taught good girl programming so early in life that we have already learned by the time we're we're before, you know, kindergarten, we've already learned how to mask. So doctors, parents, teachers, they can all miss it because essentially women are better at repressing whatever society is telling them they need to repress. They are better at prioritizing following these invisible societal rules and norms that are expected of them than boys are. And so that doesn't mean we should get miss, you know, we should miss out on on learning about ourselves or making space for who we are, you know. We deserve to have language and support for it as well, which I'm a part of me is also like glad it wasn't caught because I know they would have just popped a drug in my mouth and who would have known what those side effects could be. So I'm almost glad I was skipped over and not diagnosed as a kid. Um, but there's nuance there. I, I also, you know, as I've come into this awareness, there's been a lot of grieving, uh, a lot of like grieving for the little girl who didn't have support, who was so alone in what she was experiencing and got so exhausted and burnout from playing a role every day and not really being seen the majority of her life. You know, there's a lot of grieving there as well. So good, bad, pros, cons, all of it. So I just want to talk about my experience, my signs of neurodivergence early, early on that were missed. And then how I came into learning, you know, that I am neurodivergent, 100%. Um, I might not have the diagnosis spot on because I haven't paid for the thousands and thousands of dollars of a psychological evaluation for someone else to tell me what I already know. And that's my choice. You know, maybe one day if I'm pooping money out of my mouth, I'll do it. I'll swing for it. But I also don't require it to know what I know in my heart of hearts. And so... Here's a little bit about my experience and and you know again this shows up differently for everyone so I'm not saying if this doesn't resonate for you then you're not neurodivergent look into it that's all I'm saying for today is to like research it yourself especially if you're a current client of mine or you're like a person who's like I want to do that someday um, these are just resonant signs that like you might be so I'm not telling you you are but look into it. So I remember being nonverbal with any adult that wasn't like my parent or someone I had known since I was a baby. Um, Adults, especially, especially, especially like authoritative adults. So uh, I would just not speak. I remember being in grocery stores really, really young. My mom would run into someone and be like, she's so like outgoing and loud. 
And I would be silent and stiff and terrified and standing behind her hiding. And she would be like, Alicia, say hi. Oh, may I be so rude? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and just try to like, instead of being like, whoa, she's nonverbal and something seems weird. Like, let's look into it and pay attention. No, it was like, be normal, be typical. And so that's where I kind of early on coded like, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. So don't be who you are. Like, do the script you're supposed to do. So I'd force myself to, you know, smile or say hi when really I wanted to scream and run away the opposite direction. I hated the grocery store. I still don't love it unless it's Costco. And then I remember pre-kindergarten being at the doctor, totally not making eye contact, not speaking. Um, He'd be like, raise your hand. And I'd be like, fuck you on the inside. (laughs) which is so funny. A big part of autism is like a strong resistance to being told what to do. I forget how they title that, but I have it right. If I'll, even if I'm like about to do something I was already going to do, if someone tells me to do it, I literally won't do it because they told me to do it. So there's a lot of little quirks that are just so fucking relieving to learn about in this diagnosis, like a strong sense of justice. Anyway, I'm getting a little off track. That's ADHD. Um, so anyway, we're in the doctor's office and I can like, you know, I'm, I'm paying attention. I, I do have recollective like memory of this, which is huge because I don't have many. I kind of remember the most triggering moments of my childhood and have forgotten the rest. But um, so I'm sitting on like the table. My mom's in a chair. The doctor's like across from me and they're kind of just chatting. And I remember him being like, she might not be ready to start kindergarten. You know, like you might have to hold her back. And in fact, I, I had already been held back for one year. So I started kindergarten when I was six, whereas I could have already been going through when I was five. But um, they waited another year. So they were kind of like, what do we do? Like, um, so blah, blah. and I don't remember who persuaded who more, my mom or the doctor. But there was essentially an urgency to be like, no, she's got to be normal. She's got to be typical. Just throw her in and see what happens, you know? And so there was no question of like, hmm, are these signs of neurodivergent? No, because they weren't studied in girls, right? They were totally passed over. If it didn't show up as like hyperactivity or, or you know, outbursts or how it shows up in boys, it was just ignored in girls. And the statistics now on like, in the 90s or the early 2000s, it was like one in 80. And I don't have these numbers completely accurate. So I would have to like fact check all of that. But it was like one in 80 girls were diagnosed. And now it's like one in 12. And so it doesn't mean that new, more neurodivergent women are being born. It's that no, they weren't diagnosed and caught because they it, we didn't fully understand how it showed up in young girls and women back then. And we're just now beginning to do that research. Fascinating. So they throw me into school anyway. And, you know, I they just weren't picking up what I was putting down, which was neurodivergent as fuck. And so in my head and in my body, it's like an instant paral- being paralyzed, you know? I was terrified of any situation where I had to be around an adult, I was nonverbal to like teachers, like the whole way through. I would speak to my classmates, but if you went to school with me when I was really, really young, like this is elementary school, I didn't speak in class. Like I didn't raise my hand. I I was just living through a terror. My body was stiff, you know. I I just became more and more and more repressed. And my anxiety and my abnormal social quirks were just stuffed down. And I basically held my real self hostage 
throughout school, throughout that entire career. And I had to learn what was normal by just quietly observing and then copying and trying to replicate. And I did a really great job at that, right? I had everybody fooled. I And, and that's why I was such a star student, right? They, they awarded my repression and my pretension and my holding hostage of my authentic self. They're like, she's so good. No, she's so traumatized right now. And she's too afraid to do anything but follow your orders for safety and survival, right? It's so different for boys and girls. Boys have the leeway and the opportunity to be more objective, to be more like, hey, screw you, teacher. Like they just get to say what they think because they're taught from the second they're born that they are inherently worthy. And, um, you know, the whole world revolves around them, especially if you're a cis hetero white man. And so for a woman, it's like, nah, girl, repress that shit. You don't get to say what you want to think or you'll be severely punished, which is going to be an upcoming episode is what punishment has replaced. I'm excited about that. Like I said, I have a lot of content coming up. So I had to, you know, survive that. Basically, that's where a lot of my trauma came from. I think I was able to unmask and be myself at home, which is a very lucky thing. You know, for the most part, I wouldn't say 100% of the time. Um, But for the most part, when I was at home, I could hang on to a semblance of myself. I could be quirky. I could be weird. I could be maskless. I could, you know, not put on a show all day, every day. Sometimes I had to, but, you know, I was able to hold on to some semblance of like me, which is great. And so then cut to my late 20s, early 30s, and I'm at TikTok University. I don't care if there's like stigma around TikTok. You get to decide for yourself what content you consume off the internet is accurate or not. And for me, I'm I follow very educational content in my algorithms. And these are a ton of practicing psychologists, doctors, researchers. So it's not like it's like a 12 year old, even though the experience, like honestly, people who aren't having those credentials, just their experience, they have a diagnosis and they're like, this is my experience. And me being like, oh my God, that's my experience too. That's enough to resonate and and be um, you know, validated enough. And, and so I had a collection of all of that. All of a sudden my algorithm started pumping out a ton of content on autism ADHD, all these neurodivergent and sensory disorder kind of ideas. And I remember being like, hmm, why is my algorithm showing me this? I don't think I'm autistic, right? But then just being so curious and open-minded to it, instead of like having a stigma, like we're kind of taught to like, oh no, no, that's bad. No, don't be autistic. Oh my God. It was like, hmm, there's gotta be a reason. You know, I just kind of put the two and two together. And so I kept consuming. I kept listening I kept learning and eventually I was like okay fuck like this is real and so I I did at my like annual doctor's appointment bring it up it felt a little dismissy there it felt a little like are you just trying to get Adderall and I was like no like I actually don't want Adderall as much as it makes me it like unmasks me to the umpteenth degree um it would be too much on my body and mind to go that route um But anyway, that makes me chuckle. So I kind of just openly learned 
And I would say for like a year before I said anything about it, before I told anyone about it, because again, I was like, oh, this isn't going to be received well because other people have stigmas of neurodivergence in their brain as well. So if all of a sudden I'm like, hey, I'm autistic now, they're going to be like, shut the fuck up. No, you're not. Which, you know, a couple of people have done. And so I was very gentle with it, but also I got all this new language and new understanding of myself and what makes me not typical and how that's a great thing. And so I learned to, at the same time, grieve what I didn't know at the time, but I also got to celebrate and, and kind of be so proud of the brain that I do have, the way it does think and process and behave. And I'm learning even to this day how to show up more authentically and excavate all those parts of me that have been repressed because I know there's power in them. I know there's beauty and intelligence in them. I want to make space for them. It's not all good, right? I find myself, especially when I'm serving tables now versus maybe five years ago, I could mask and pretend so, so well and so easily because I had all this momentum behind it and all this lack of awareness around what I was actually doing and why. And now that I'm so hyper aware, it's so hard, you guys. It's so hard to mask. And that affects like how I interact with people and and how I communicate. And it's really shifted and changed my connections and my intimacies because it's almost like I'm a ghost of who I was and I have to find who I am. And, and so there's emptiness there. There's a lot of emptiness I'm going through and I, and I know it won't remain empty forever, but it's an odd, awkward teenage stage of understanding my diagnosis, if you will. And so I'm going to end with that. I am self-diagnosed for now. Um, I could be off on maybe exactly what it is, but I'm just going to umbrella diagnose myself as neurodivergent because that's enough for me. It's it's validating. And like I said, I know in my heart of hearts, it's resonant. And, and I've learned enough and studied and researched enough on my own accord that I trust, that I, you know, I stand by. I have a bachelor in science. I got my undergrad. Like I know how to research things. I literally have a minor in psychology. So it's not like I'm, you know, one day like, I want to be neurodivergent now. It's like, no, I have a lot to back up the self-diagnosis. It is valid. And anyone who disagrees is, again, coming from that invalidating a person's experience norm um, to live by the book of being told in an allopathic thinking way. And and so I'm just not game for that. In fact, I, I go through lessons on that with my clients um, in, in the mental health world in general. So anyway, getting off track because I can trail away, but you might be neurodivergent and I'm not telling you you are, but check it out. Look into it. If you're missing a vital aspect of what you're experiencing, if something feels off, if you have any, any ideas about like, you know, sensory, overwhelm, burnout, if you if you have high anxiety, depression, if you have um, social anxiety, you might have some flavor of neurodivergence and that is not a bad thing. You are a genius here to benefit all of society and to break some of these broken norms and I want you on my team. So good luck in your research, my friends. Hope I didn't blow your mind too much. Munch? And 
Have a beautiful week. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, buddy. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, you have to come check out my one-on-one coaching program. It's 24 weeks of me and you where I take all the guesswork out of your self-awareness journey. I'm just going to give you all the answers in one go. I guarantee you after these 24 weeks, you will feel like a completely different human, empowered, focused, motivated, in love with yourself and on fire for your life again. Go to alishaturnercoaching.com right now to book your free consult call and I'd love to have you join while spots last. I'll see you there.